Thank you. I feel like I'm at home here these days. You can see. You know, it's lovely. You know, when we were driving up, it's all, I said to Kim, it's not long since we've been here. Just, it was only weeks, a week or so. God is good though, isn't he? Yeah, I was wondering whether to start this morning with a joke, and uh, Kim sort of looked at me and she said, really? So uh, I gave that one a miss, but I did feel good. God spoke to me while I was uh, praying, and uh, I want to do this at the beginning. Somebody here, you've, you've been having pain in your lower abdomen area, here where I'm rubbing my arm, hand, somewhere here. And someone else, it might be the same person, but you've got pain around your, your, your abdomen as well. Um, it might be IBS. And there's somebody else uh, is having difficulty with your neck. Now, I had the sense it was some sort of injury. Maybe it was a, a whiplash or something, but you're having problems with your neck. If those are you, just stand up where you are, will you, please? Okay. Now... Young people who are just out the front, I would like you, you've had a good time away, receiving. I would like you to jump up now quickly and come and pray with these guys. Come on. The Bible says, freely you have received, freely give. So come on, you know, you're not a lesser part of the church, you're part of the church. And, you know, you have, God can use your prayer. So someone quickly, one of you youngsters with each of these folks, just put your hands on them and just ask God to intervene. There's yeah, you're, someone here. There's one guy over here. We need one more guy here. Has everyone else got somebody with them? Yeah, someone at the back there needs. Okay, now, guys, don't be frightened. Just put your hands on them and tell their bodies to become healthy. In Jesus' name. Because you've got authority. You know, you, some of you received a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit at this uh, time away. Well, then just release that into these folks' lives by laying your hands. It says, we will lay our hands on the sick and they will recover. So let's do that, shall we? Lord Jesus, we pray for everyone that's standing. We speak to their bodies now in Jesus' name. And we say to them, be healthy and be whole, for pain to disappear and discomfort to go. And in Jesus' name we say, be healed. Amen. Thank you guys for helping me with that. I want us to turn to Mark chapter 6. Uh, While you're turning there, I just want to set the scene a little bit. Uh, In this passage, we have the disciples. They've returned to Jesus, having been sent out in twos to preach the gospel. And they've had an incredibly successful time preaching and healing many people who were sick. And now they've returned to Jesus and are reporting to him all that they've taught and all that they've done. But it's so busy with people coming and going, that they don't even have time to eat. So Jesus suggests to the disciples, let's get away to a quiet place where we can rest. But the people recognize Jesus and they recognize where he's going. And although they've gone there in a boat, 
when they arrive, there's a crowd of over 5,000 people waiting for them. You know, let's read from verse 34. And it says, Now when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. They said, But that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, we have five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have the people sit down on the ground on the green grass so that they sat down in groups of a hundred, hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And he gave it to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten that day was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up onto a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them about the fourth watch of the night. He went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. When they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost and cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over and landed at Gennesaret they, and anchored there, as soon as they got out of the boat, the people recognized them and ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went into towns, villages or the countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the hem of his garment. And everybody who touched him was healed. I don't know about you, but do you ever have those times when life is just busy? You know, it's so busy that you're, you know, you think, I just need to get away and rest somewhere. But there is no place or time to find rest. You know, I thought it was just a modern problem until I read this. But clearly, it was a problem in biblical times. They didn't even have time to stop and have a meal. 
I noticed some people eating their sandwiches this morning. And I thought, didn't they have time for breakfast before they got here? Perhaps you were having a crusade with a few thousand people before you got, you didn't have time to eat. But they were so busy, you know. And, you know, we get busy in life and sometimes we think, well, we need a holiday and you get away on holiday and that's not relaxing either. I don't know. Have you had those sort of holidays, you know? We went away on holiday and we've always had a rule when we go on holiday, you know, it's a holiday for us. And Kim says to me, you don't take your computer because if you take your computer, you'll be working. The last holiday we had, we didn't take computers, but she was working. You know, all these churches are asking her to go and minister her testimony. And we're off all over the countryside ministering, you know, and the rules get broken. But, you know, sometimes even holidays aren't restful, are they? But Jesus recognized the need that the disciples had to find some rest. But he also had compassion for the people. And he could see that God was at work. You know, we need to be aware that even in our tiredness and our weariness, that God might have a plan for the people around us. And if we're going to see the miraculous, we need to develop that sensitivity and willingness to follow the Spirit's leading, no matter what the pressures are on us or how we're feeling. We need to lean into the Spirit. I want to encourage you. you know, I believe that we're heading into very exciting times for this nation and for this continent of Europe. But it will require us to be men and women who are leaning into the Spirit who are listening for his voice. You know, being in God's will is not always easy. Turn to the person next to you and say, did you know that? <laughs> yeah, if any of you are in ministry, you know it's not always easy to be doing the things that God wants you to do. And I'm sure those of you that perhaps don't think you're in ministry have had times when God calls on you to do something and it's not the most convenient time. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it because it's in those times that I've discovered that you start to see the exciting things that God has for us. You know, you read verse 31 and it tells us they were tired and they were hungry. And in verse 34, we see they're looking for a place to rest. You know, I don't go much on their travel plans. They look for a place to rest and there's 5,000 people waiting. You know, and even at the end of the day when everyone's been fed and they've got into a boat to go and find some rest, the weather is against them and the conditions are holding them back. And in the early hours of the morning, they're only halfway across the lake. You know, being God's will does not mean that our lives will be without pressures or problems. But I think we can learn much from accounts like this one of how we li can live and become the overcoming people that God intends us to be. Do you want to be an overcomer? You know, I don't believe that God wants us to be in a place where we are always praying to him to resolve our problems. I believe that he wants us to be a people who can deal with our problems in his power. 
So there are a few things I want to point out to you from this passage. The first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus made time for his relationship with his Father. With everything else that's going on, at the end of the day, he sends the disciples away, he dismisses the crowd, and he goes up onto the mountain to spend time with his Father. I am increasingly discovering the importance of giving time for my relationship with my Father, my Heavenly Father. You know, Kim and I have been married 40 years just this year. I didn't say that for your applause, but... You know, and sometimes that's been good and sometimes that's not been so good. But our relationship survives quite often on just five-minute conversations. But there comes times when we need to get away and spend more time together. You know, and I believe the same is true for our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Our relationship with Him can survive on short conversations. But it will always require sometimes when we give it more time. You know, Jesus, you see that throughout the New Testament. He was speaking with his Father continually. But then there are these occasions when he makes the point of going away to somewhere quiet on his own to spend time with his Father, to give uh, priority to his relationship. You know, when difficult times come in our life, those are the times we need to run to Jesus, not run away from him. You know, I know from my time as a pastor that so often when people hit difficult times, instead of running to Jesus, they run away. They'll stop coming to church. They'll stop meeting with their Christian friends. They stop reading their Bible. They stop praying because they've turned their back on God because they've got difficult times. You know, difficult times are when we need to push into God. You know, a great man of God once said to me, Tim, are you running after God or is God running after you? Turn to the person next to you say, Are you running after God or is God running after you? You know, because we are called to be followers. You know, we're not called to be people that Jesus is chasing around after. He's called us to follow him. We're meant to be a people who run after God. And I think so often he's running around after us. And that's the wrong way around. We need to make a priority. Our relationship with the living God. It's a phenomenal thing, isn't it? That you and I, at any moment in time, can just stop and talk with the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he will talk to us. I, I, get, I still get the hairs on the back of my neck stand up when I think about it. That God cares about me. That he loves me so much that when I talk to him, he wants to talk to me. He wants to have a relationship with us. 
We're called to be followers of Jesus. As I said, reading through the Gospels, you can see Jesus continually talked to his father, but he did give times of significance. You know, he'd been giving out on this particular day. So what did he do? He didn't go running after the disciples straight away. He went up onto the mountain to spend time with Jesus. When he chose the 12 disciples, the apostles, he went up onto a mountainside beforehand because he had an important decision and he wanted to involve his father in that decision. And when difficult circumstances were looming in the Garden of Gethsemane, what was the thing he did? He went away and spent time with his father. You know, I really believe, I know Joseph said it during Revive, but I want to emphasize it again. We need to prioritize more time in our relationship with God. For you, that might be, if you're not spending any time, that might be that you spend five minutes a day. If you're spending five minutes a day, it might be that you spend 15 minutes. If you're spending 15 minutes, it might be you give him an hour. But I would want to encourage you this morning to prioritize your relationship with God. I say relationship rather than prayer because a relationship requires a two-way conversation where we don't just come with our shopping list, but where we come and we spend time talking with God about what his desires are, what his plans are, and that we're willing to receive what he's saying to us and ready to do whatever he says. So let me encourage you, prioritize spending time with God. Make a choice to give your relationship more time. Secondly, I want you to notice that when testing times come, God doesn't leave you. You know, he might seem quiet at times, but he doesn't leave you. Somebody once said, when you're under examination, the teacher can't speak. You know, I imagine there are exams that take place in this hall. And they probably have external, not exterminators, external (laughs) invigilators (laughs) come in Because the teachers aren't allowed to be there when you're under test. You know, I think this day, Jesus set the disciples up with a test. You know, if I was the disciples, I would never have got in a boat that Jesus told me to get into. Because, you know, I'm going to write a book one day, Lessons Learned in a Boat. Because every time these disciples got into a boat, there were lessons to be learned, you know. Some places you just don't want to go. You think they would have got familiar with that. But they didn't. They got in the boat without Jesus. And I think he set them up for a lesson. So here we are, Mark 6, 48. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, And he intended to pass them by. I I have to say, "Ah, why, Lord? Why did you intend to pass them by? Well, I think as we go on, we learn why. But he intended to pass them by. I believe that he wanted them to have learned from lessons from the feeding of the 5,000. 
You know, it says that they didn't understand the lessons from the loaves because their hearts were hardened. And Jesus was walking across because he saw they were in trouble. And when it became apparent to him that they hadn't learnt the lessons because they were screaming out terrified because they thought he was a ghost, he got into their boat. He didn't get into their boat to tell them off. He got into their boat to example what he had expected of them. What happened when Jesus got in the boat? The wind stopped. The sea calmed. Because his internal reality became their external reality. You know, if you are at peace inside then that peace affects your... Is the battery going? got me on a lead now. <laughs> That's dangerous. You know, his internal reality affected his external circumstances because he was at peace. When he got in the boat, everyone became peaceful, including the wind and the waves. You know, if our lives are in turmoil, how will we deal with the turmoils around us? We are called to be people who are in a relationship with God, who know his peace in us, and that our internal reality affects the world around us. You know, Jesus wanted them to realize that they were no longer just natural men, but there was a supernatural element to their lives. We, the moment we became Christians, had a supernatural element added to our lives. We're no longer just to think with natural thinking. You know, the disciples... When uh, they're feeding the 5,000, when Jesus says to them, feed them, their first thought is, it's going to cost eight months' salary. You know, I've had a few people when Kim and I've had uh, ventures that we felt God has called us to move out in faith, where people have said things like that. Are you serious? We are not just natural beings. We are beings that have access to a supernatural element. And Jesus demonstrates that by the fact the moment he got in the boat, all became calm. His internal reality became their reality. When circumstances come against us and we have no peace, then I want to suggest to you that's the time to allow Jesus to get into your boat. I love the way that John puts it in his gospel. He says, John 6, 21, then they were willing to take him into the boat. You know, so often when we hit problems, if we're running away from God rather than running to him, what we're saying is we're not willing to take your answer. We're not willing to have you in our boat. And we need to be willing to let him get into our boat. Because when he does, he will demonstrate to us the way to live. He wants us to be a people who live victorious lives. Thirdly, you know, Jesus doesn't always turn up 
to answer our prayers in the way we might expect. They thought he was a ghost and became terrified. Just think about that for a minute. The answer to their problem is walking on the sea and they're terrified by him. You know, how often could God's answers make us fearful? You know, I remember Kim and I were in Uganda and uh, we had had a phone call at the hotel we were stopping at and uh, the receptionist phoned me and said, Mr. Grant, we've got an external call for you. Would you be willing to take it? And I thought it was our driver phoning up to say he was going to be late because Kampala is a nightmare city in traffic, you know. Anyway, I pick up the phone and this man shouts down the phone, if you come to our village today, we will hack you to death. Now, that's not the sort of phone call you want first thing in the morning. And I'm sort of looking a bit stunned and Kim's looking at me. She says, who was on the phone? I said, I don't know, but he wants to kill us. So we quickly picked up our mobile phone and I text my pastor back in England and I said, "Uh, Pastor, I've just had a death threat that says if I go into the village today, they're going to hack me to death. Now last, the previous time we'd been in Uganda, in this village they had hacked eight people to death with machetes. So we knew it was possible. My pastor texts me back and he said, don't worry Tim, we prayed and God's going to send a big angel to protect you. Go on in. I texted him back. I said, that's easy for you to say, sitting in England. I looked at Kim and I said, well, we don't want our children to become orphans today. So you stop here in the hotel and I'll go to the village, you know. She looked at me and said, if you're going, I'm going. You know, when you find a good wife, you find a good thing, the Bible says. And I'm praying in the bus on the way to this village. I'm going, Lord, I want to see that big angel when I get there, you know. I want to have a revelation of him, you know, just so I know. And when, I get, when we get to the village, we're getting out of the van and there's this little old man and he's got a stick, a staff and he's got a funny hat on and he walks over to us and, and, and he's sort of shaking a bit, you know, and he's saying, um, I've come to protect you. And I'm thinking, you are not a big angel. <laughs> he says, but I am the head man of this village, this hat signifies that I am the head man and this staff signifies my authority and while I am with you no one will harm you and we walked into the village and we could see them with their machetes but they would not come near us because he was with us and guess what he was a Muslim our Muslim our angel was a Muslim Now, you know, that might upset some of your theology. God doesn't always turn up the way you expect. Now, I don't know whether he was the head man, whether he disappeared or whether he was just a big angel pretending to be the head man. But I know that God said he was going to send an angel to us, protect us, and he turned up. It wasn't what I expected. To be honest, looking at him, If they had decided to go for it, 
we'd have all gone. Because he was, uh, you know, we need to be careful. We don't put our preconceptions on God's answers to our prayers. So often we could miss the answer because we've got a preconception of what it should be. If you're in a situation today and your circumstances seem to be against you and you're feeling overwhelmed, just take note of verse 52. Jesus says, take courage. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Just turn to the person next to you and say, God's with you. He's promised to never leave you or forsake you. You know, when Joshua was about to go into battle, Joshua 1 verse 9, God says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Why do you think God told him not to be terrified? You know, I think it was because there was going to be a lot of opportunities to be terrified. You know, if God says don't do something, it's because there's going to be the opportunity to do that. So God commands him, he says, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, we need to get hold of that fact that God is with us, and he's a good God. And even when we're not living the victorious lives that he intends us to, he promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. You know, if he's following you rather than you following him, where are you taking him? You know, I often think that. Yeah? Would I be happy if Jesus, I had just brought Jesus into this situation? Because yeah? he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will always be with you. So, he's a good God. He loves us. He expected the disciples to have learned something from the feeding of the 5,000. But when it became clear they hadn't, he didn't chastise them. He got into the boat and demonstrated what he had expected them to do. Fourthly, you know, the disciples are completely amazed. Mark six fifty one and 52, it says, Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their hearts were hardened. What had they not understood? What was it that Jesus was seeking to teach them? What should they have learned from the loaves? Well, I think there are just two or three things I want to point out to you. The first thing is don't just see the problem, but recognize that we have a God that is greater than any problem that might be coming against us. When the disciples came to Jesus, I mean, I suspect that they were tired. 
They were hungry. They'd already had a busy time on their own. They've come back and joined in to his busy time. They've tried to get away and have a rest, and that's not worked. And then Jesus says to them, you know, well, they come to Jesus, and they say, these people are hungry. You know, my suspicion is they were hungry. You know, my suspicion is they were tired. Because they say, these people are tired and hungry. Let them go away. We don't want to be here anymore, is what they're saying. We want to go and have a rest. And Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. You know, we can be one of two types of people. We can be those people who are always seeing problems. And the trouble is, if we're people that always see problems, when you're, what you focus on just gets bigger and bigger. You know, if you spend all your time focusing on your problems, rather than the God that can help you overcome those problems, then the problem will get bigger rather than the God. You know, but if you're focusing on God and you're giving him time, you're spending time to have a relationship with him, not just religion, then in that time he becomes bigger and the problems get smaller and it becomes easier to overcome them. You know, when uh, David went to take food to his brothers who were in the armies facing the Philistines, the army of God was completely paralyzed because of their perspective. They're looking at Goliath and he's a giant of a man. And their perspective is he's so big, nobody can beat him. And David turns up and looks and he has a completely different perspective. His perspective is he's so big, I can't miss him. <laughs> you know? What is your perspective? You know, God wants us to be a people who have a perspective that we can't miss overcoming the problems. When problems come our way, we have a choice to make. Are we going to be people who see giants or are we going to be the giants that God intends us to be? In verse 37, Jesus tells his disciples, you give them something to eat. In that moment, he's telling them, with God, nothing is impossible. You have the power to do something about this. When they respond by putting yet another problem in the way, they say, but Lord, it would take eight months' salary. He realizes that they are still thinking naturally rather than supernaturally. You know, we need to be a people who no longer think naturally, but we need to be a people who have a supernatural perspective. When they respond in that way, he helps them, he demonstrates to them what is possible by feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with a boy's lunch. He's demonstrating that they are now part of a different kingdom. We might live in the United Kingdom, but we are no longer citizens of the United Kingdom. 
We became citizens of the kingdom of God the moment we became Christian. And in the kingdom of God, there is a different perspective on things. It's set up on different principles. John 14, 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. You know, we are called to be a people who do the works of Jesus and who do greater works. I don't know about you, but I'd be happy just to do the things Jesus did. You know? Just think about it, water to wine, dead rising, walking on, I'd I'd like to do the walking on the water. You know, I think that would be pretty cool, don't you? I'm going to a few places where they have a few lakes, and I thought, maybe, you know, shadow ministry, well, I've done that one, but, you know, I'd be happy to do what Jesus did, but he said, no, these and greater things will you do. We need to be a people who realise that we're part of a greater kingdom. We need to start thinking supernaturally. God is bigger than our circumstances. When the disciples start to talk about how much it's going to cost, they reveal they're just thinking naturally. So often we can get caught focusing on what we don't have. You know... I was speaking to some friends and they told me 25 years ago they were told to buy a house and open a retreat centre. And they said, well, we've never had the money. And I said, really? And they said, no, five times that house has come on the market since God told us to buy it, but we've never had the money to buy it. And I said to them, excuse me, you're focusing on what you don't have rather than what God has told you to do. You know, and I know that when God tells you to do something, that he's able to turn up and do it. When we bought our tent, which cost us £25,000, God provided for it. But at the same time, I am, my parents are getting old and I'm concerned about where they're living because it's not particularly safe for them. And one of our guys in our church built this beautiful retirement complex And he said that it was going to be affordable housing for older people. And when he finished it, it was anything but affordable. And I have to be honest with you, I was moaning. Because I'd had this dream that I'd be able to put my parents, buy them a flat in this this complex. And he had an open day and I didn't go. Because I thought, he said it would be affordable and it's not. So I'm not going to go. And a few weeks later, we put our new tent up and no one came to view our new tent. And God said, I'm moaning about that as well. And God said, well, you didn't go and look at Jim's flats. I said, yes, but God, he said they would be affordable and they're not. But you know, when God asks you a question, you know, he doesn't want to know the answer. He wants you to know the answer. So the fact that I hadn't been, I went to the flats and they were everything Jim had said they were going to be. They were beautiful. It was a lovely gated complex. And I said, I really want my parents to live here, but I can't afford it. And I'm walking out of the gate and God says to me, are you a son or are you a slave? And, you know, I got thinking, you know, Paul said, I'm a bondservant of Christ. And then there's something welled up in me. 
and said, I am a son of the living God. And as I'm walking through the gates out of this complex, I shout at the top of my voice, I am a son of the living God. And people on the street look at me. And then I hear God say, well, what do you want? I said, well, I want one of those flats for my mum and dad. He said, well, go and buy one. So I walked straight back in. I said, Jim, I want to buy one of the flats. And he said, which one? I go, oh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> so I said to him, I'll buy the show flat. He told me that was for sale. I said, I'll buy the show flat. So he gave me the price. Oh, swallowed. And I said to my parents, go and have a look. And they had a look. They said, it's wonderful. And Jim said, because he was a friend of ours, he said, move your parents in. Then you can tidy up their house and sell it. And I'm thinking, I am 25,000 pounds short. But we stepped out and did what God said. And two weeks later, Jim phones me up and said, Tim, can you come in and sign some papers? So I go in to sign all the papers. My mum and dad are already living in the flat. And he said, before you sign the papers, he said, he said, I felt God told me to give you a bit of a discount. He said, would you mind if I take £5,000 off the price? I go, no, Jim, I wouldn't mind. So he said, can you just sign here? He said, I'll cross that out and put 5000 So I signed to say I would pay this. Well, two or three months went by and we sold my parents. And Jim said, you need to come in and sign some more papers. And I go in, he said, Tim, uh, can you sign here? And I said, yeah. He said, um, he said, I didn't do what God told me last time. He said, would you mind if I dropped another 5000 off the price? I think, no, Jim, I wouldn't mind at all. So I signed again. He crossed out the thing and I signed again. And the last day we are going for the for completion and we are still £15,000 short. We've not told anyone, Kim and I. And we walk into his office and we're having to find the, sign the final paperwork. And he looks at me and says, Tim, he said, I'm not sleeping at night. He said, the day you came in and bought the flat, God told me to give you £25,000 discount. He said, do you mind if I take another 15 off? I said, no, I'm delirious. And I'm jumping around laughing. He said, why? I said, well, the day I came in, I was 25,000 pounds short. And I said, I've had three months of praying like murder. <laughs> you know, when God says do something, it's no good looking at what we don't have. I'm sorry, I know. <laughs> We don't have any time left. That's what they're telling me. <laughs> I'm not looking at that. <laughs> it's no good looking at what we don't have. We need to look at the God that we do have, who is more than able to do the impossible. And we have to be thankful. What was the first thing Jesus did? He took the bread and the fish and he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks for what he had got. The disciples didn't think it was much, but Jesus thought it was enough. And they had 12 basketfuls left over. With God, nothing is impossible. You know, when we were put on this earth, God gave us three mandates. Genesis 1, he said, fill the earth, subdue the earth, rule over the earth. All over, rule over creation, everything. When the Satan, 
when man sinned and Satan took control of this earth, those mandates were taken from us. When Jesus died and was resurrected, he won back the original mandate for mankind. We are called to subdue and rule. You know, if the natural circumstances against us, we're called to be a people who can subdue them. Jesus said they hadn't learned the lessons. He expected them to have caused the wind to have calmed. But because their hearts were hardened, they didn't learn the lessons. You know, we need to be careful that we don't have hard hearts, that we have soft hearts. You know, Romans 8 verse 19 says, All of creation eagerly waits with expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Creation is waiting for you to become everything that you are meant to be. You know, we need to understand the lessons that Jesus was seeking to teach the disciples. That they were no longer ordinary people, but they were now extraordinary people. They were no longer natural people, but they were supernatural people. They were no longer bound by this world's laws and limitations. They could move in the supernatural and see amazing things happen. Ezekiel 36, he prophesied, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You know, we need to be men and women who have got soft hearts toward God, receptive to what he would say. You know, I'm sure you've heard of Jackie Pullinger. You know, she went off to China. She didn't know where she was going. She just got on a boat and went because God told her. Everybody told her not to go. And, you know, she's seen one of the greatest outpourings of the Spirit amongst the people in the walled city there that we've seen in my lifetime anyway. And I heard her speak once and she said, the trouble is most of us have hard hearts and soft feet. Uh, And then she said, God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet. That is, he wants us to have hearts that are receptive to what he's saying and have the feet to go and do whatever he tells us, wherever he tells us to go. You know, we need, this nation needs us not to be a natural people, but a supernatural people. We are sons and daughters of the living God. That means you are princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. And every one of us needs to start to think like a prince or a princess. When God said to me, are you a son or a slave? That day, 28 years of teaching fell from here to here. And suddenly I realized, I am a son of the living God, whose resources are limitless. And you know, resources have never stopped us doing anything since. Let's pray, shall we? Do you want to stand for a moment? I'm going to pray, and if you agree with what I'm praying, 
then I'd like you just to say amen at the end. Lord Jesus, please take away from me any hardness of heart that stops me learning how to do all that you've created me to be. And give me a heart that is soft and receptive to the leading of your spirit that I might become everything you intended me to be and fulfill all that you've called me to do as a child of yours, Lord. Amen.